Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. My name is Graham. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance, and it's good to be with you all here today. Um, if you're new here, I want to welcome you here today. Today we're continuing our series, sermon series called Abraham. And so in this series, what we are looking at is the, the life of Abraham from the book of Genesis. So we're looking at his relationship with God, and we're seeing at how, how at times Abraham responds out of faith, and how at other times Abraham responds out of fear. And so we're, we're seeing how we can learn from his life and what we can apply to our own. Uh, so today we're going to be in Genesis 15. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. Genesis 15 is where we're going to be for the day. Uh, as we get into it, it'll also be on the screen here. Before we read our text for today, I just want to mention today, again, is a very joyful day for us, right? Today we're celebrating the life that God has put in our church. Um, we have the privilege of celebrating four new members entering into a covenant relationship with the church, right? Right? <laughs> and, uh, and we also have the privilege of celebrating with Autumn and Dylan as they, as this week, again, as James mentioned, they, their firstborn entered into this world. And so it, it only seems fitting today that our text, it discusses covenant relationships, and it also discusses the promise of a baby, right? Um, it, it, uh, today we're going to be in Genesis 15, and then we're going to see God, Abraham's covenant with God in which he's promised his very own son. So this is kind of like church, church life emulating our sermon series, right? Um, so as we get into our text, uh, I want to see our main point for today is this. Faith in God is how we receive righteousness. Faith in God is how we receive righteousness. Let's read our text for today, and we will begin. This is what it says. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. 
As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray and we'll unpack our text for the day. Um, God, we come to you today uh, humbly just asking that you would speak to us through your word. Um, we thank you for Jesus and all that he's done on our behalf. And um, we celebrate the, the new life that you brought into our church today. And just we ask that you would um, be with us and guiding us and um, help us to keep our eyes set on Jesus and uh, just to, to know how good you are and, and, and uh, just see all that you're doing in our lives. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to dive right in here. Uh, what we see in this chapter of Genesis, right, is God making a covenant with Abraham, right? God makes this covenant with Abraham. So I want to ask this question to begin with. What is a covenant, right? So I'm going to read this from the Bible Project. This will be on the screen. It says, a covenant is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. Goes on to say they are, they're often accompanied by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. It says covenants contain defined obligations and commitments, but differ from a contract in that they are relational and personal. So we're going to uh, elaborate on that a little bit. I think that's a good place to start off here. So in a covenant, there are terms that are set. Uh, which each party agrees to abide by. And so this is different from a contract, right? In a contract, yes, there are terms, but in a contract, if one party does not abide by the terms, they have broken the contract, right? And, and, uh, and the relationship then is terminated, okay? So I'll give us an example. So you may have a contract with a cell phone company, whether that's Bell or Rogers or or Videotron, Rogers, right, Dwayne? And, uh, and so it doesn't really matter who it's with. So in that contract, there are terms, though, right? You say to, uh, that you're going to pay Rogers $50 per month for maybe three years, and they agree to give you cell phone coverage for that month for those three years, right? However, if one party breaks those terms, then the contract is nullified, right? If you don't pay Videotron or, or Rogers or whatever, if you don't pay them $50, then they have the right not to offer you service. And vice versa, right? If they don't provide you service, 
then you have the right not to pay them your money. That's how contracts work. However, this is not how covenants work. Right? So in a, in a covenant, there are terms that are agreed upon, but what is most important in a covenant is the relationship itself. Right? You may have heard it said before that marriage is a covenant. Certainly, Christian marriage ought to be a covenant. Um, but in a marriage, in a, a man and a woman commit their lives to one another, and during the ceremony, they pledge their vows to one another. Right? So the vows in that, in that relationship are the terms of their marriage. However, if one person breaks those vows, that doesn't give the other person license just to terminate the relationship, right? I'll give us an, an example here. So a common vow might be to say something like, um, I promise to love you and, and always be your, by your side through the ups and downs, right? Uh, we've probably heard something kind of like this before during a wedding ceremony. This would be an example of like a common uh, vow that you might hear. Well, anyone who's been married knows that that doesn't always happen, right? Often, husband and wife do not always love each other as they should through the ups and downs. But when that happens within the marriage covenant, we don't just say marriage over, terminate the, terminate the marriage, right? Because the relationship in the marriage is what's most important. It's similar within the covenant relationship of church membership, which we are seeing here today. Both the church and the believing individual mutually enter into a relationship where there are terms. Um, in this relationship at, at Renaissance here, we as a church don't ask you to do anything that the Bible doesn't already ask of you. So the, the terms of the covenant membership include things like submitting to the authority of the scriptures, pursuing Jesus through a healthy spiritual life, regularly participating in the life of the church, and so on. And in turn, we as the church are committing to walk with you as you pursue Christ seeking unity together in Christ and seeking to love one another as God has commanded. And so in both of these examples, what we see is that when we fail to live up to these commitments, our aim is not just to terminate the relationship, right? In fact, it's the very opposite. It is to come back to it, seek reconciliation and forgiveness, and work towards unity in, in, in what we have originally committed to God and to one another. That makes sense? So, these are just a couple of examples of covenants, what we see today within our culture and in our church. So let's keep that in mind as we take a look at this covenant with Abraham. Um, a lot of what we're seeing today in our text is this covenant being formed between God and Abraham. If we look at the beginning of our text here, we see that God, he initiates this covenant relationship with Abraham, right? So God comes to Abraham, he says to him, he says, Abraham, do not fear. I am your shield, and your re reward will be very great. And so Abraham responds to him by questioning him. So in verse 2, he says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abraham is saying here, he's like, I have no children to pass anything down to, right? My legacy ends when I die, for I don't have any kids. Eliezer of Damascus is my heir. So this, this uh, guy named Eliezer, he was likely a servant of Abraham's. Uh, he's, it's, it's mentioned that he's from Damascus, um, but he is not blood-related to Abraham. So Abraham pleads with God for his own son. 
What we see is that God listens. He responds by saying, he says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. We quickly see, though, that there is a major problem with this covenant between God and Abraham. Right? God promises Abraham an heir from his own line. He says, Eliezer is not going to be your, your, your heir. And, and he says, God's going to provide Abraham with his own son to be his heir. One small problem, though, right? What do we know about Abraham so far? Genesis uh, 11.30 tells us that his wife, Sarah, was barren, right? And she's unable to have kids. And so God here is promising something that is literally impossible. Something else that I want us to, to see here that's, a, that's important for us to see. Uh, so I'm going to give us a little bit of backstory about Abraham to see why this is so important. So if we look at, at, back at the life of Abraham, uh, there's something else that we know about him. Abraham is not an Israelite, right? Because at this point in history, the Israelites did not exist. So in the biblical story so far, God has not called himself uh, a people to himself yet. And so Abraham wasn't just someone who followed like this major religion his entire life and, and followed God, right? Before God intervened in Abraham's life, Abraham comes from another religion who worshipped another god. Before this, Abraham worshipped a, a supposed moon god. It was called Nana. Um, and I want to see why that's important, right? This moon god, this supposed moon god, was associated with fertility, right? So if you were unable to have a child in Abraham's culture, you would pray to the moon god. And so this is, the, is this exactly the problem that Abraham is facing. It's like, my wife is unable to have children but I know the God who supposedly can help me with this, right? There is a specific God who, who to, to go to in Abraham's culture if you were having problems conceiving a child, and it's the God that Abraham used to worship, right? And so he's confronted with the, the very same false God that he used to worship. Uh, Abraham's faced with this choice of, do I go back to my old ways or do I trust Yahweh? Do I... Do I do I, tr do I go to this moon god of fertility to, for him to provide, or am I going to trust God that he's going to provide? Let's keep reading and see what it says. It says, God brought him outside, and he said to him, look toward heaven, right? It's nighttime, and he says, look up in the night sky. This is the place where Abraham probably looked many times before in the past as he prayed to the moon. But instead, God says, Look to the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he says, so shall your offspring be. So this is not only God promising to do the impossible, this is a direct confrontation of the false god that Abraham used to worship. This is God saying, I am way better than that. Right? The moon has nothing on me, for I created it. Contrary to, to what you used to believe, the, the moon has no power to provide you with a child, but I do. I can open the womb of Sarah, your wife. She may be barren, but I can change that. So trust in me. Um, this idea of God uh, confronting the, the false gods of the time, we see played out in Scripture a few different times. For example, in the book of Exodus, while, while the Israelites are slaves in Egypt, God brings plagues upon uh, Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. And you may have heard this before, maybe not, but each one of these plagues that we see God causes 
was symbolically showing that God was greater than the gods of the Egyptians. So let me explain that a little bit more. So for example, the Egyptians, uh, during that time, they worshipped a god that had a head of a frog. One of the plagues that God brings upon the Egyptians was for frogs to afflict the Egyptians, right? There was also an Egyptian god of the Nile River. And one of the plagues we see is God causes the Nile to turn to blood. And so ten times in that story, God confronts the false gods of Egypt. And in each plague, God shows himself superior to the false gods of that day. And he asks the people to trust in him. If we turn uh, back to Genesis, we see that this is just what Abraham does. Verse 6, he says, And he believed the Lord, and it, he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham trusts the God of the Bible rather than the false God that he formerly knew, and God credits it to him as righteousness. Faith in God is how we receive righteousness. And this applies to us as well, right? We, we see that all throughout Scripture that our right standing with God depends not on our good morality, right? It doesn't depend on us being good enough, but it depends on faith in God. This is what Paul writes in Philippians 3. It's, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, for, this, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, may gain Christ and be found in him having a righteousness, uh, no, sorry, be, be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Uh, I was listening to a pastor this week named Jim Hamilton. He says this, he says, this is a declaration of righteousness that is not based on obedience, right? The God of the Bible doesn't say, you must be good enough. You need to be better. If you're good enough, then you can come to me. No, the God of the Bible says, I come to you because I am good. I am righteous. And when you come to me, despite your flaws, trusting that I am good, then you are declared with the righteousness of Jesus. So faith in God is how we receive righteousness. So uh, in these first six verses, we see God promise a, a child to Abraham. Throughout the rest of this chapter, though, what we see is another promise from God. God promises to give Abraham's offspring land. So we're going to kind of jump through this a little bit. Uh, in, in verse 9, God tells Abraham to prepare this covenant. Uh, we're going to come back to that in, in a minute. But what we see then in, in verse 12, we're told that the sun goes down and a deep sleep falls upon Abraham and he has this really grim dream, right? God shows him that his descendants are going to be slaves in a land for 400 years, but that they will come out with many possessions and they will enter the land which God has promised. This promise we see is fulfilled in the book of Exodus where the Israelites, they live as slaves for 400 years before God delivers them and they enter into the promised land. So we're not going to go into that story into too much detail today. Um, that's a sermon series for another day. But, but the point here is this. God is faithful to his promises. Right? In, in both cases, with this promise of a child and the promise of the land, God comes through. 
Right? God comes through in impossible circumstances with a barren woman and an occupied land. Right? God fulfills his promises as he always does. And so for us here today, there is a promise that we can rely on from God. The promise of eternal life in heaven with him by faith in Jesus. We get invited into his land, right? into his kingdom, into his, his family through faith in his promised son, Jesus. Right? The son that God promised to send, born by the impossible. Right? Not by a barren woman, but by a virgin woman. Jesus, his, his righteousness is ours through faith in him. And so faith in God is how we receive righteousness. Um, we finish here. We, we see the severity of the covenant later on in this chapter. So in verses 9 and 10, uh, we see uh, Abraham kind of preparing this this covenant. And so he's told, he's told to gather a bunch of these animals, right? He gathers a cow, a goat, a ram, and two birds, and he cuts them in half. And that sounds really unusual to us. I think it should, right? Um, but what is going on here, right? This is an example of an ancient Near Eastern covenant. Right? So this is how covenants were formed in that day. Uh, so what would be done is, in, in this covenant, is that you would take these animals, you would cut them in half. Sorry if this is gruesome, but I mean, this is, this is in the Bible. Um, so yeah, you would take the animals, you would cut them in half, and then uh, and you would put the, the halves on each side, and uh, both parties would walk in between the halves of these animals, right? And when you did this, what you were saying is this. You were saying, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, may what has been done to these animals be done to me. Right? If I break the terms of the covenant, then may I end up like these animals. Right? It's rather severe, right? So I'll, what I want us to do right now is I want to invite the members back up here. We've got some animals. For, no, we're not, we're not doing that today. <laughs> um, what this shows, though, is, is how serious the covenant was to be taken, right? This was life or death. This is them saying, my life depends on me keeping my word. All right? So Abraham, he cuts these animals in half. And in, in verse 17, we see God goes in between these pieces. It says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Again, you might be thinking here, how is God this, how is this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch, what does that have to do with God, right? How does that make any sense? What we see often, though, in, in throughout Scripture is this is often how God chooses to reveal himself uh, in Scriptures is through this smoke and fire imagery. So I'll give you a, an example here. The, the book of Exodus, it describes that the Israelites, uh, uh, sorry, it, it describes that God leads the Israelites through the wilderness by a pillar of smoke and by a pillar of fire. Again, in, in Exodus, God appears to Moses on Mount Sinai as a burning bush. Uh, and even in the book of Acts, what we see is as his spirit is poured out onto the believers, it appears as a flame above their heads. And so this is a common way that we see God reveal himself to his people in Scripture. What we're seeing here, though, is, is God's commitment to the covenant, right? God goes between the animals. What's missing in this covenant? Who doesn't walk between them? Right? Abraham. Right? Abraham doesn't go 
because he's in this deep sleep, right? He's having this dream that God had given him about the Israelites in Exodus. And so you might be thinking that, well, then the covenant is void then, right? Right? Only one party went through. God's the only one who goes through. Yes, God is the only one goes, who goes through, and that's the point, right? God goes through knowing, uh, knowing that Abraham would not be able to fulfill his end of the bargain, right? Because Abraham's failures should result in his death. And what we see in the very next chapter is another one of Abraham's failures. And so had Abraham walked through here, his sin would inevitably break his covenant with God and, be, and become deserving of the same death as these animals. And yet God goes through on his behalf, meaning that God commits to take the consequences for the future sins of Abraham. Are right, you starting to see how Jesus fits into this story? This is what Jesus did on our behalf. He said, for those who put their faith in me, I die for them just like those animals. I walk through death on behalf of humanity, just like God went through as the smoke and fire for Abraham. You and I today are like Abraham here. We're sinful, broken people who don't have to face the death that we deserve because God did so on our behalf. And so Jesus, he creates a new covenant with us. Our covenant relationship comes by God taking on the death that we deserved. It's by God standing in our place in a new covenantal relationship. And like with Abraham, we receive righteousness through faith in him. Jesus, he describes this new covenant in the book of Luke when he eats his last supper with the disciples. Um, I want to read a, a little bit of this for us today. Luke 22, it says, And he took bread... And we, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to him, to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The picture here is a similar picture we see with the covenant of Abraham. Right? The bread, Jesus says, it symbolizes his body broken for you. Right? Just like the animals were broken in two, so Jesus tore the bread and said, this is what I'm going to do for you. My body will be broken for you, and I'm going to die for you. And as the animal's blood would have been poured out when Abraham cut them in two, Jesus says the cup represents his blood poured out for you. So the new path, so, so, sorry, so the path that is the new covenant with God is through the blood of Christ. It is nothing that we have done on our own. It is what Jesus has done on our behalf. Faith in God is how we receive righteousness. And so Jesus says, he says, do this in remembrance of me, that his body was broken, right? Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed and God died in your place that day, right? God spared you from going with him by going in your place because he has never failed to live up to his promises we have. We have turned to the false gods of this world for our comfort instead of to him. We have no righteousness on our own, and yet God is alive today having walked through death, raised to new life, living in those who put their faith in him. And so with that in mind, uh, I want to wrap up here by actually taking communion together. 
I mean, again, the, the picture of communion is our covenantal relationship with God. It is Jesus' body broken and his blood spilled out for you. God walked through death on your behalf. Jesus faced the wrath of the Father so that you did not have to. And if you're not a Christian, um, this is what the God of the Bible offers. This is the offer for you today. Here are the terms of the covenant. God promises to forgive your sins and enter into a relationship with you for eternity. And in turn, you put your faith in Jesus and it will be counted to you as righteousness. If you're ready to, to make that commitment today, we would love to have a conversation with you after. Uh, you can come find me afterward. I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you're not ready to make that commitment today, we just ask that you would observe this time of communion. Uh, taking this doesn't save you or anything like that. It is, uh, but, but, but it is a significant reminder for those who have put their faith in Jesus, what he has done on our behalf. For those who are followers of Jesus, as you take communion, I want you to reflect on your covenantal relationship with God. Right, what does that look like in your life right now? Perhaps you want to think, are there things in my life that I run to instead of running to God? What idols today might God be confronting for you? Right? If you will turn from them and turn to God, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and impute to you the righteousness of Jesus. So maybe I want us to, 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 is, is to get up and as we feel led, um, we can take the, the communion here. We have bread broken in, in two on both sides here. And so you can take that as, as, uh, with, with a juice here as well. Uh, as you're ready, go ahead and, and reflect on what we've just talked about. And, and you can take the bread and the juice back to your seat and we will uh, come and take this all together. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.